This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our March 9th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And same old, same old. Over the past few weeks, this is uh, pretty pretty much the craziest market we've seen since uh, 2008. And if you haven't been around, if you weren't around in 2008 when the market cratered back then, you're starting to understand what it feels like. Uh, this isn't close. We're still a ways away from having anything like that uh, or, or feeling like that. Uh, but I do have kind of a thought process now of, where I think this is headed uh, and when peak panic will come. So we're going to talk about that. And, you know, this volatility is something that you're going to need to get used to. And it's a great test of your portfolio, of your strategy, of your nerves, we talk about this all the time that you know our job here is to help you create, define, execute a strategy that makes sense for you and your goals and your portfolio. And that can mean very different things for two very different people based on age, risk tolerance, goals, amount of money they have now, amount of time they have to dedicate to investing, how much interest they have, all of these factors go into how you should execute your different strategies that are available out there. There's a lot. There's a lot of ways that you can skin the cat. There's a lot of ways to be successful. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to Continue to help you to refine that and help you achieve your goal of financial freedom. I'm Justin Klein. I hope you will call me in this hour, and I, I know we're going to get a lot of calls today. So if you're going to call, you probably want to do that sooner rather than later. And our goal here is to help you become a better investor each and every day. And one way Steve Pease and I do that is by implementing our philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So you know, we're different from other investment advisors because we are dedicated to unbiased guidance. We're not listening to some analyst at the top of Morgan Stanley, for example, or some big brokerage firm. Because that's, you know, most of those advisors work, right? They're, they're getting their instructions from the top. And so we only recommend investment strategies that we implement for ourselves, that we understand, and therefore we can help you. So now that I've set things up, I'm here and ready to answer your investing and finance questions. Our anytime listener line is open. Right now, I'm taking your calls at 888-99-CHART. Once again, I'm going to be in San Jose in just under two weeks. I'll be traveling up there, meeting with registered listeners and clients who understand the value of a no-cost, no-obligation KPP financial portfolio review. So if you want to sit down with me, I have two slots left up in San Jose on March 20th. You can register now at investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story how the mortgage refinancing boom helps drive down the 10-year treasury yield. 
Now that's one factor. It's not the only factor, but I like this topic because it will help you understand the intricacies of portfolio management, uh, both on the individual level, but also the institutional level. Because oftentimes, or not often, most of the time, what drives market moves in the bond market, stock market, commodity markets are institutional players and where they're moving money more than anything, right? Because they're dealing with millions and millions of dollars, right? Just like us at KFP Financial, we're making trades and each trade often is a million dollars. So, you know, across all, you know, a swath of accounts, et cetera. So when you make these, these, make these trades, you know, we can move the market depending on what type of asset it is. And so this will be an interesting lesson, I hope, on how institutions trade and how market movements can affect other areas of the market as well. So we're going to talk about that. Also, why this sudden upset in the market and ultimately the economy could be self-fulfilling, right? Where it kind of feeds on itself. And that's obviously the biggest worry here. And we're going to talk about why that might be. Also, lessons from the dot-com bubble. Were you around during the dot-com bubble? Maybe you're around in 08, but were you around in the dot-com bubble? What lessons can be gleaned from that as well? So we're going to discuss that. And then short-term lending market. Why this coronavirus upset in the market could have a strong toll on short-term lending and what the Fed might potentially do about that. So those are the things that are on my mind. That's ultimately what I want to talk about, but what's on your mind? I'm sure you have a lot today, so we're going to touch on that. But let's look at the market today. The Dow is down 2,000 points-ish, 2,013 points, about almost 8%. You had the S&P down about 7.5%. So bloodiest day since 08. Uh, And it shouldn't shock anybody. It shouldn't. It is something that was ignored by the market for a good few weeks uh, and is now being ignored by a lot of governments, including our own here in the United States. And I want to say ignored, but not handled well, uh, right? And Italy over the weekend had a big jump in cases. They've shut down about a quarter of the country and restricted travel in the rest of the country. And that's going to have big economic impact for them and the rest of Europe and really the whole the whole world. Italy is a you know a top I don't know probably twenty five economy in the world. So the big question is where does this strike next? And I think that's what's being priced in now is that this is going to happen somewhere else. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to happen here in the United States. We're probably four to six weeks out from it. Well, because, you know, it hit Europe, it hit that region faster uh, or sooner than it did, right? Because they're closer to China than it did here in the United States. And they're finally testing, you know, here in the United States, we're not testing nearly enough. I think South Korea has tested 200,000 people already. You can actually drive through places and get tested in South Korea. And here, the CDC is still struggling to roll it out to, you know, any more than a couple thousand. So it's coming here. It's just a matter of what are governments going to do, what are people going to do, what are corporations going to do about it. And 
the worry here, this is the worry. And a lot of people downplay the effect of this virus. And in truth, yes, it is not a very powerful virus. There's a reason that their incubation period is so long. Or so long is because it's a weak virus. So after the break, I'm going to talk about why the market's worried and why ultimately there will be panic in other countries as well. I'm Justin Klein. We've been tracking our InvestTalk podcast downloads, and they have increased month over month. It's very good, and as you can imagine, more listeners result in more live show callers and a great number of voice bank questions. And Steve and I have created a special bonus podcast program. It's called the Rapid Fire Hour. You know, we can only get so many calls each day. And so we had a back backlog of I don't know, 30 plus calls that we hopefully got. I think we got through a lot of them. And you can go listen to it at investtalk.com. It's the Invest Talk bonus show. So head over there and check it out or iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. And now I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. It's Monday, and we've witnessed a historic day in the markets. Volatility has been raging, so you must have finance and investing questions. Justin Klein is here, and he's ready to talk with you now. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon. This is Philip from Cincinnati. So uh, I've been listening for a little while now. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was wondering if you could shed a little bit more light on ExxonMobil with the market getting slaughtered today. Exxon closed at $56, a little, a little above that. Do you expect it to go down further? Thank you very much. Well, all the oil names were slaughtered today, even more after that call. And now Exxon's down to $41 a share. I do think Exxon is a, is a, is a great long-term buy down here, but... Uh, going back to the coronavirus peak you, you worry, right? The opposite of euphoria, the peak panic, I think is still a, a, a little bit ways down the line. So certainly could be more downside from there. You know, what you want to do right now is focus on companies that have strong balance sheets and uh, don't, that can, that can weather the, the economic storm, that uh, can get financing, roll over debt, et cetera. And Exxon uh, definitely fits that bill. Uh, so, you, you, these are great values for Exxon. However, you definitely need to understand that, hey, this could go to 31 or 21 even uh, on Exxon and just be aware of that potential. But long term, I think this will be uh, a good buying opportunity for Exxon Mobil. Now, getting back to coronavirus and uh, the reason this, this panic is happening, it's not because it's a strong virus. It's not because there's high death rates. In fact, uh, if you go based on South Korea, which has aggressively tested a lot of people, it's under 1%. But that's not the problem here. It's that about 15-ish percent of the people that contract it are going to need critical medical care, meaning hospitalization, right? And the worry, because it's a single-strain RNA virus, is that it will spread, and it has spread rapidly. Uh, and it will spread so rapidly that it will overwhelm the hospital system. And that's what's happening in Italy. That's what happened in Wuhan. That's what, that's what happened in the Northwest as well. And if that does happen, 
you're going to have people that normally would get past this, right? They would be fine. They would go to the hospital. They'd get a ventilator. They'd get oxygen. They'd have a bed. They'd have a nurse. They'd have uh, doctors taking care of them, and they would get over it. However, if you have an overwhelmed medical system, many of those people will not get the proper treatment, and those that may have gotten through it before will pass away. That is the worry here. That is what's happening in Italy. It's what's happened in Wuhan. It's what's happened in, in Iran to some extent. There are different areas of the world that that is happening. You can even see in the Northwest here, it's not overrun, but there's certainly stress, let's say that. Uh, and so this is the worry. Uh, and I don't think we hit peak worry here in the United States for four to six weeks for various reasons. One is we haven't had it as long. It hasn't spread throughout the country uh, for various reasons uh, quite as fast, but it's likely going to. Now, the positive, however, the positive is that studies are starting to show that this is seasonal, that over a certain temperature, 58 degrees, it's the, the spread starts to slow. They're prognosticating that it's one of the reasons why the Philippines has not had a large outbreak because it's a little warmer there. Uh, so, and the big, the big question is that, will it die out or is it going to plateau and then maybe reaccelerate in the, in the, the fall? That's something that is unknown at this point. But if you do get panic in the United States, that is when you find panic in the equity markets and that is going to be the much better time to buy. Now we're in a historic period for the stock market and the 10 year treasury yield dropped to as low as 0.31%. Yeah, you heard that right, 0.31%. Closed at 0.5-ish, but it's pretty crazy. It's basically saying the Fed is going to cut at least 75 basis points uh, next week. They might go all the way to zero. Trump is talking about a payroll tax cut to try to bump the economy, but this is the issue here. Fiscal monetary stimulus does not work in the case of for shutdowns. And I don't, but the issue here is that the Trump administration is not aggressively trying to slow the spread. Not, bottom line. And I think that's one big reason why he's increasingly unlikely to get reelected. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday. It's broadcast and streamed live in the four o'clock Pacific time hour. So I hope you tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you start making now in 2020. Justin Klein is here ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance, and the phone lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Angel from Charlottesville. Um, I love your show, and I'm listening to pretty much every episode since a couple months ago. I just had a question about Duke Energy, the symbol of D-U-K. I was looking to diversify my portfolio a little bit more and realize I'm kind of lacking on the energy sector. Um, So I'm trying to evaluate if this is like a good company to invest in. And my main question is, how do you tell when a company's bet is too high? At what point do you get concerned? I mean, it looks like right now they're 
total liabilities is that yeah, right now it looks like sorry, their total long term debt is maybe at fifty six four one seven. This is a millions. And I just don't know if that's like a debt number that's way too high or way too low. I also had a question in regards to cash flow. At what point do we feel good about the cash flow? Do we say this is good or this is bad? I'm just having a little trouble, you know, trying to evaluate whether a company's safe to invest or not. Thank you so much. And I'll be listening for your response on your next show. Thank you. All right, she's looking at Duke Energy. And first off, make sure you don't look at the name of a company and just think that's what space it's in. This is Duke Energy, and you might think it's like an oil name or something, but no, it's a it's a utility. So this is not it would not give you exposure to the energy space. This would give you exposure to the utility space, and those are two very different types of companies. This is a utility. People are paying their energy bills, right? They're, they provide electricity to, let's see, uh, and natural gas to 7.7 million electric customers and 1.6 million gas customers in the United States. So yields 4%. Now you're talking about debt. And this is where understanding what industry they're in, the volatility of their cash flows and of their revenues is extremely important. Duke does have a lot of debt about $60 billion in long-term liabilities on a $69 billion market cap. It's a decent amount of debt, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but their business is relatively steady. Earnings are growing on average per year, 3 to 5% over the next couple of years expected, and they've been growing that way uh, since 2013, if we're going back to what I'm seeing. Uh, very slow but consistent growth, and even in a recession, they're unlikely to have major problems. So a company like this can carry a lot of debt, whereas an energy company, and you're, or sorry, an oil and gas company like you're seeing right now, the, this debt-to-equity ratio is probably too high for those type of companies. Okay, So you have to understand in context what level of, what, what level of debt is too much. Um, and in this environment, you want to be owning companies with minimal debt as opposed to a lot of debt, okay? So to me, this one's fine. Uh, and cash flow is important in the sense of can they cover their debt payments? What is their maturity schedule like? Uh, and their dividend, right? Can their dividend be sustained uh, in this sense? So while Duke isn't my favorite, we own a, a good amount of energy uh, company, or sorry, utility companies for uh, our clients. Duke's one of the better ones out there. I will say that uh, simply because of its consistency and its long-term proof of consistent earnings and, and uh, being a a reliable uh, energy producer, right? So. I like Duke. It's not my favorite in the industry. I do think the debt is a little too high, but it's certainly sustainable because of their consistency of their business and anti-cyclicality of it. Now, my main talking point today concerns the story that how a mortgage refinancing boom helps drive down the 10-year treasury yield. And this is a great, a great story because it'll give you a little insight into how institutions work. Now, what happens when treasury yields drop, or sorry, when yields drop, mortgage rates drop, and mortgage, the 30-year mortgage rate is now down to 3.2. I think we're down, going to get down to below 2 
very soon. Uh, if I'm thinking about refinancing, I'm definitely going to wait a little bit longer because uh, I, I see lower rates in the future. And I don't think of the, the rates today on the 10-year have fed into mortgage rates quite completely yet. But nonetheless, mortgage rates are down. Refinancing is up over 200% year over year. And what this exposes or creates is what is called prepayment risk. Okay, Now, you borrow money in a mortgage. That mortgage is likely packaged up into some sort of vehicle, right? Mortgage-backed security. You remember this from the financial crisis. Now, if rates rise, you're going to continue to pay that mortgage, that one that's in that particular mortgage-backed security. And if they're, you, you, the investor in that mortgage-backed security is going to like that because they're going to con, con, get that consistent uh, interest payment. However, if rates go down, what are you going to do? You're going to refinance and you're probably you're paying off that loan that's in that mortgage-backed security and you're creating a whole new loan that's probably going to go into another mortgage-backed security or another bank balance sheet, right? And so the investors of those mortgage-backed securities are often big institutions and they need to adjust they're what is called duration, okay? And so when that is taken out, they often hedge with owning more treasuries. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that this refinancing of mortgages is creating even more demand for treasuries, which creates more refinancing. Pretty wild. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. I'm ready to take your questions right now, so give me a call. Numbers are elusive. I bought this stock last year at about $6.75. They're always changing. I got them at $3.99 and it took a major hit. First up, then down, then up again, or maybe sideways. What would be a good entry point? On Invest Talk, the focus is on numbers that affect our listeners and their portfolios. Carl in Ohio, he wants to talk about his 401k. Hi, Justin, uh, longtime listener of the show. I absolutely love it. Let's go to Dave in San Leandro. You've got to be prepared for volatility. I want to know what you think for someone like me. And they know it. I'm 31 years old. So the questions keep coming. Should I dollar cost average that? 24-7. How much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? From every part of America. Hey, Steve and Justin. My name's Josh, calling from Buffalo, New York. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein analyze the complex patterns in those numbers and do their very best to decipher the potential meanings. Thanks for everything you guys do. And here's one number that keeps rising. More than 20 million InvestTalk podcast downloads. And for that, Steve and Justin thank their loyal listeners. I find you guys to be pretty much entirely trustworthy. So I'm curious, how do you do that? Independent thinking, shared success. It's all about the numbers. InvestDoc.com. At a time of great interest in the market, InvestTalk listeners are invited to expand their stock and strategy guidance information by listening to a special new bonus podcast, the InvestTalk Rapid Fire Hour. Go to InvestTalk.com to see the podcast listing for the March Bonus Show. Hello, this is Tom from Los Angeles. And I was just wondering if you guys have any thoughts on buying Apple, given the the recent fall. Thank you. 
Well, we own Apple for many clients. Uh, however, this is not the place yet that I think uh, is, is a fantastic buying opportunity or anything like that. Uh, there's, there's clearly supply disruption uh, in China. And once again, I don't think we've hit peak, peak panic here in the United States. Uh, so we're looking around the $200 level on Apple. That's where I would love to uh, add to it. Uh, for new clients and maybe up the percentage for existing clients in particular strategies. So that would be about $200 a share. And right now we're at 266 So uh, that's what we're waiting for. And I do think we'll eventually get there. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. And we'll talk a little bit about what the effects on the economy of this outbreak is having and is going to continue to have for at least the near term. But what we have to worry about the most, I think, because because we're going to get past this. Uh, there there will be treatments. There's unlikely to be a vaccine in the next uh, couple of years, but we're going to figure out a way through. But there are economic ramifications that we've talked about that feed on themselves. And the reason is, is because with endless money printing since 2008, it has moved the corporate bond market into very, very lofty levels in size, right? Because companies have been able to borrow money, buy back stock, and they've been borrowing money because people are chasing yield. Right? And since 2008, the corporate bond market has gone from $2 trillion to $7 trillion, just $7 trillion. And so the big worry here is that a lot of these weak companies, many are listed as triple B, investment grade, and about half of the, sorry, about $3 trillion of the $7 trillion corporate bond market is in that triple B space. And if those start getting downgraded, they have to be sold out of many investment-grade funds. And that can feed on itself. And the junk bond, just the A paper, I'm sorry, the, the junk bond market is about a little over a trillion dollars. And that's likely to be in great peril if you continue on an economic slide. And that's really the... The big worry in the markets here is not just a short-term blip and freeze. It's that those weaker companies aren't going to be able to sustain themselves in the credit markets. Banks, bond investors are going to slow their uh, lending and their borrowing or, or their, their buying of bonds. And you have layoffs. And that's when it feeds on itself. And so we know this economic fallout is going to be bad for the real economy, but also for the credit markets, the funding markets. And what you're seeing now are yield spreads widening out much bigger than we've seen uh, in, in the past uh, since the financial crisis, really the biggest move since the financial crisis. And these shifts in the credit market and funding market, if they're sustained over an extended period of time, they can freeze up the credit channels. And it will start amplifying the economic fallout, right? Where companies cannot raise money. They're not, that means they're not going to hire people. They're going to maybe fire people, shrink, and become more conservative. 
So that's really what I'm watching the most are the credit indicators in the market. And those are certainly blowing out. And that's not good. Now let's keep moving along. Here comes another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Just a quick question for you. If I were to begin buying a few core holdings to begin building a portfolio, would you recommend doing that in a typical brokerage account or within my current Roth IRA? Right now, I just have mutual funds within my Roth IRA, but I didn't know if it was wiser to pick one or the other if I was going to start picking stocks and choosing stocks on my own. Look forward to hearing the answer. Thank you. Well, as with anything in the markets, there are pros and cons uh, of each. Now, you're talking about buying core holdings. And if you hold that within an IRA, you aren't going to be taxed on dividends, for example. And I hope that a good chunk of those quote-unquote core holdings are going to be paying a dividend. So that would be nice to not have to worry about paying taxes on that dividend, those, those dividends each and every year. However, if you maybe are buying the, holding the core holdings in your, pers- in your IRA, but maybe you're trading a little bit more in your brokerage account, you're going to pay capital gains on those trading profits. So there's definitely two sides and pro- t- t- two ways to look at how you should hold those assets. Uh, on, mutual, on the mutual fund side, there's something called capital gains distributions where near the end of the year, usually in the fourth quarter or sometime, they distribute capital gains. And especially in a, day, a year like this, this is a year where many mutual funds are going to distribute large capital gains. If you continue with this volatility, right, you have people selling, those mutual funds are going to have to sell and liquidate their positions in order to get uh, clients' money's money back. And that's going to create capital gains within the mutual fund. And guess who's not paying those capital gains for the most part? is the actual person that sold the mutual fund. It's the person that holds the mutual fund at the end of the year when they're distributed. So be aware of that as well. So holding a mutual fund in a tax-free account like like a Roth IRA is smart. But in today's world, when you don't have trading costs, I'd rather build my own core holdings and I don't want to pay on that dividend. Uh, And if you're trading, you're probably going to lose some and you're going to write those losses off on the brokerage account. So I would say core holdings in your Roth and then trade in your individual if that's the way you're going to go. Thanks for the call. Great question. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you're in good company. We keep down those statistics and we know that in January and February, we had monthly totals over one half million downloads. That's each month. Steve and I thank you for that, and we'd like to keep the momentum going, so please sure to tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk and our website, investtalk.com. And for now, our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. In less than two weeks, Justin Klein will be meeting with registered InvestTalk listeners in San Jose, California. That's right. March 20th is the date, and Justin will be conducting personalized portfolio reviews at no cost and without obligation. And next month, Steve Peasley will travel to two cities for portfolio consultation appointments, Houston, Texas on April 17th, 
and Chicago, Illinois on April 20th. Learn more and register soon at investtalk.com. Eight eight ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have about fifteen minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, you want to do it sooner rather than later. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some lessons from our last big equity bubble. Yeah, we had the housing bubble back in two thousand and eight, and the fallout from that, but the drop in. Stocks were more uh, from a catalyst of the housing market, right? Whereas the dot-com bust, that was purely over-speculation in equities. And I could say this is a pretty similar situation today. Uh, you had the rush of zero commission trades with Robinhood and then uh, Schwab and TD and Fidelity moving that late last year. And then you had the catalyst of the Fed printing more money, and that pushed a lot of people in equities. You actually had very, very high interest in equities from a retail investor over the past three to six months. And per usual, that's usually a bad sign, a worrying sign. And nothing, however, has topped, at least since uh, probably the 20s, the fervor that was around the NASDAQ in 2000. It was even bigger than, I think, the housing market uh, fervor in 2005-06. And starting on March 10th, which would be tomorrow, will be the 20th anniversary, the NASDAQ composite hit an intraday high of 51,032. And about two and a half years later, October 2002, the index had fallen 78.4% to 1,108. And it took all the way till 2014 for that index to get back to where it was in 2000. If the Dow would do the same, would have the same dive today, it would be trading around 5,400 by October of 2022, just as a parallel. So what are the lessons that you can draw from this? Well, going back to previous bear markets, they've recovered in different fashions, different ways, over different time periods. And you have to always consider inflation as well as dividends, not just the total value of the index. Now in 1929, it took 25 total years to recover from that drop. And that happened rather quickly. At least the, the drop did, I'm saying. It took 25 years to get back to those levels in 1929. But if you go on an inflation-adjusted basis and a dividend-adjusted basis, it actually only took seven and a half years. Why? Because there was actually deflation, massive deflation during that time. And therefore, even if the market went sideways, you were still net-net making money, right? Because you had deflation that was holding value. 2008-9 crisis took five and a quarter years to recover. 
1973, 74, that was pretty long. It took about 12 years to get back all the way in uh, 1984. But on average, since the mid-1920s, took only about three and a half, three point one years, excuse me, for the broad market with dividend and inflation adjusted basis to make its way back to where it was at the start of the bear market. So I hope everyone kind of understands that these bear markets will happen. And you just have to be ready, willing, and able to pick up the good companies when the time is right. Now I'm not saying the time is right. But it's important to understand the market structure that we're in today and that we're very top-heavy. The FANG stocks, they're very concentrated. About 14, 18% of the top five of, of the S&P 500 is in the top five companies. You were even less diversified, however, in the NASDAQ in 2000. It was 40%. 40%. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and here comes another caller question from the Invest Talk listener line at 888.99 chart. Hey, I'm a 19 year old investor. I've been investing in the market for about nine months now, and I just had a question about ticker symbol SPHD, the low volatility, high paying dividend stocks or ETF. I own about 10 shares, and I was wondering whether to keep buying, make it a core stock in my portfolio, or to just leave it where it is. Thanks. Well, he's look, this, this is one of the areas that I most worry about in the markets, is these low volatility ETFs. Uh, because volatility is low until it isn't. Low volatility creates instability. Low volatility is not necessarily a good thing. And then when you combine that with high dividends, you're also likely to be invested in companies that have a lot of leverage, have a lot of debt in order to continue to pay that dividend. Now, I'm not saying all of these names uh, of it in the top 10 are those type of companies. Uh, however, you're going to get exposed to more because many of them sustain their dividends at the detriment of their balance sheet. And so that's what would worry me the most is the le level of leverage in a lot of the companies that this is holding. Uh, so I'm not saying it's a bad fund. It's, it's, it's about average, I would say. It's, uh, it's okay, but it's not something that I'm getting super excited about to uh, load up on as the market drops because of that dividend factor that many of those names are going to come into problems with their balance sheet. So, uh, no, not a, not a fan. And I, honestly, you've been in this nine months. Sit back and relax. Learn. You're way too early. You're entering a market that is going to eat you up and chew you, chew you up and spit you out. Anybody who's been in this market for a handful of years or less, even seven, eight years, you haven't seen anything like this. You haven't experienced anything like this. You don't know what this is like. So you need to tread cautiously. This is a very different market. We're entering a very different market than we have had in 11 years, 12 years. So tread lightly. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. Get your questions in now at 888 99 chart. Thank you.
On the next Invest Talk, could the stock market plunge cause a recession? One analyst says the root of our equity downturn is the reaction to virus fears, not financial conditions. That story tomorrow. But now the Anytime Listener lines are open and Justin Klein is here and waiting for your questions. Call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin. Great job with the show. My name is Fred. I had a question regarding uh, gold as a potential hedge for some of the variability that we're seeing in the market right now. Didn't know if you guys could recommend an ETF that you like that covers this for gold. And just kind of a, a watch out. I've gotten involved with ETFs on commodities before, uh, specifically for one that I purchased with oil that ended up being a, a huge tax nightmare because it was, you know, I got enrolled in a trust automatically when I did that and I wasn't aware of that. So just something you might want to inform your listeners about. Thank you very much for the info. Great job. All right, looking at gold ETF, uh, you know, this is, uh, there, there's a lot of ways to gain exposure to the gold market in uh, in our equity markets today. And, and ETFs are a good way. You know, you obviously have GDF, GDX, excuse me, GLD, IAU. Uh, IAU and GLD are going to be probably the safer bet. Uh, simply because you're just tracking the price of gold. For example, GLD was up 26 cents. However, GDX or GDXJ, which would be a little more risky, the junior miners, those were down today pretty decently. And a big reason is just simply because they're equities. Uh, they Longer term, they're going to uh, have a much better multiple to the gold price, right? If gold price goes up 10%, oftentimes gold miners go up two and a half to three times that amount uh, over that same time period. So if you're looking for something that's going to supercharge gains in a strong gold bull market, gold ETFs are certainly those, or sorry, gold miners are certainly what you want. However, you're going to find some volatility like you did today uh, when everyone's trying to liquidate and trying to reduce leverage in their portfolio, for example, they're going to sell everything. And gold miners often get hit in that type of scenario. But what we've seen in 2008 was that they bounce back pretty fast. But you have to be willing and able to handle that volatility. All right. Let's look at the clock, and I think we can squeeze in one more caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Vitaly calling from Atlanta. I've been looking at oil companies. I was wondering if RDS.A, which is Shell, was wondering if that's a good oil company to invest in at this point. I would love your feedback. Thank you very much. All right, looking at Royal Dutch Shell Class A shares. This company has a lot of debt, uh, about $100 billion in long-term liabilities. That worries me, uh, especially with oil prices this low. Uh, that worries me. So it's not my favorite name in the space because of that, because of that uh, high amount of leverage on their on their balance sheet. Uh, not to say that I hate it. Uh, there's definitely a lot of names that I would avoid before this one. Uh, however, I'm looking for companies with a little bit stronger balance sheet than this, and that's why I would stick with I would stick with another name than Royal Dutch Shell. Thanks for the call. And thank you all for joining me today. Remember, this is a market that is different. Everyone's been 
conditioned to buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip, that the Fed was going to save the market every time the market dropped 10%. But this is an environment that's very different than probably most of you have ever seen. And it's best to be patient, sharpen up your watch list, see how the things in your watch list are reacting, understand the level of debt and balance sheet that they might carry. Start becoming, in a lot of ways, a credit investor. And it's a lot harder. It's more boring. But that's how you navigate these environments, as well as technicals. Understanding the technicals, whether they're stronger or weaker. One of the reasons I was not that bullish last week was because the bounce was pretty meager. It only retraced about 50% of the drop from the week before. And therefore, it showed me that this was a relatively weak market. Now, I think we're going to bounce soon. We're near a lot of support in the S&P. But if this drag drags out, and it likely will, peak panic in the United States is one you want to buy. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will return on Thursday. Steve Peasley will host the program tomorrow. Please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.